You're listening to Alabama Tradition with Ryan Fowler and Martin Houston on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Champions. 27 SEC titles. 131 first-team All-Americans. 70 postseason appearances. 39 postseason victories. This is Alabama football. And this is Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. tradition the past present future of the alabama crimson tide just me tonight no martin houston martin's coaching his son at northridge and uh, having a chance to uh, to coach his senior season a little focused on the running backs uh we will not talk with martin tonight we're going to talk to william barger coming up in just a couple of seconds alabama off to an amazing start when you talk about the recruiting side the month of july has been very very good for the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're about 39 days away. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, and we welcome in William Barger, former offensive line at the University uh, University of Alabama. Hey, William, I hope all is well. Welcome into Alabama tradition. Uh, I think we may have lost uh, William uh, there. Let's see if we uh, – is is he still there? All right, we'll get him, we'll get him up there in just a couple of seconds and uh, – have a try to find a way to work in uh, William as we get into the conversation. So William Barger uh, there, and uh, he said he got dropped. He just sent me a text and said, uh, I don't know exactly what happened. So William Barger going to come up in a couple of minutes. We'll get into the conversation around college football, uh, 39 days away from Alabama Crimson Tide football. Who do we play? Who knows right now at this point? Practice uh, beginning to get a little bit of buzz, beginning to get a little bit of conversation. Uh, we'll get into that, and we'll continue here. William Barcher, former offensive lineman at the University of Alabama. Hey, William, I hope all is well. Welcome into Alabama tradition. Hey, Ryan, how are you, buddy? Hey, very good, very good, man. I I feel like that uh, you know we get closer to the month of August, even though so much uncertainty around this this game. I, I feel like that we're going to get football back. Where where is your barometer at in football? You know, Ryan, I, I think, you know, when, when the NCAA made the decision to, uh, you know, let the players return to campus in June, I, I think you kind of saw the writing on the wall. I mean, is there, you know, some uncertainty with some of the things that you've seen with, you know, some NFL players? All right, so we'll get William back here in just a couple of seconds. That seems to be a uh, very frequent uh, happening uh, today. So we'll uh, – I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, we'll get William back in here in just a couple of seconds. Hey, Tommy, try line two and three. Line one, for some reason, has done that all day today uh, there. So we'll, we'll get our engineer, and I know he'll he'll be on top of it uh, as we, we look at the phone system. We've, we've had a backup phone system, and obviously uh, we may have to go to a third-string option before it's all said and done. Uh, let's see if we can maybe just get a, a complete introduction with William Barger, uh, former offensive lineman at the University of Alabama. So uh, let's try it again. Uh, don't know exactly what happened. 
William, I, first off, let me apologize. I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, we're having to call a little bit of audible there. But uh, I, I just want to get your barometer on the game of college football where we are. I don't know where you know where y'all. Yeah, y'all lost I, I, I don't think we heard. I don't, I don't think we heard very much of what you said. It, it dropped literally after that. Gotcha. What I was saying was, I think you could kind of see the writing on the wall when the NCAA, you know, allowed the players to come back to campus in June. Um, you know, certainly, I think you you might have to pause a little bit. You know, with with, with what you see going on in the NFL this week with you know, players opting out of, you know, a a million-dollar-a-year salary and taking a $350,000 stipend to skip the season. And you've seen the, you know, the positive COVID test, you know. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get into the conversation right here on Alabama tradition, uh, the past, present, and future of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You are listening to Alabama Tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler. Your connection to Tuscaloosa and the University of Alabama Athletics on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Up issues. I know it's a little little on the embarrassing side. I feel like I'm fumbling uh, inside the goal line. You know, I mean, I guess maybe uh, inside the two or three yard line. I mean, I feel like Sark called the play there. Uh, we're going to replay Sly Kroom. Had a conversation with him earlier. If you missed it, it was a dynamic one. Sly Kroom going into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, this is Coach Kroom here as we have a chance to listen back to a legendary player at the University of Alabama. Uh, Coach Cream, for one, congratulations on the awesome honor to be inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. I hope you're having a great day, sir. I am, Ryan. Thank you very much. And, um, of course, I'm excited to um, uh, to have a chance to be a part of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Sure. Uh, rightfully so. And you, you, you kind of got your start here uh, in the wonderful city of Tuscaloosa. Tell us about your high school days as we'll go through a, kind of a timeline of your career. But you uh, you played, and I'm even getting messages uh, from people that remember uh, watching you play. And one, one guy even told me, he said, uh, ask Coach Kroom. I think he graduated high school early. Uh, at a younger age, and, and maybe uh, he's right or wrong, but he said uh, he thought you graduated when you were 16 or 17 years old. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but uh, it's always fun to talk about those days. Yeah, I was. I, uh, I What happened, I actually started school early, so I was always ahead of myself in class because my mother taught the first grade, and uh, she didn't have a babysitter, so she took me to school, I think, when I was five years old, and I was doing the homework like everybody else, so she enrolled me in school, and that's how I got started. So I think I was, uh, uh, I think I turned 17 my freshman year in college. So, but uh, uh, but I enjoyed playing at Tuscaloosa High School. Though it was a lot of fun, a lot of old guys. I uh, still remember a lot of them that I played with. Uh, uh, but uh, we weren't very good, but uh, but but we did have fun. 
Hey, no, no doubt. Well, you, you certainly got an impact. Uh, Coach, you still have a lot of family that live in the area here, correct? Yes, I do. My mother's still there, my brother and, and uh, his family. And got a lot of uncles and aunts on my mother's side still there. Um, uh, uh, and not many of my, the, uh, my family on my father's side uh, uh, is not there anymore. But, uh, but, 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 all of, but most of my family ties are still there. Coach, when you committed to the University of Alabama, what was the commitment like? Uh, I mean, was it pretty much automatic that you would head uh, to the University of Alabama? Well, I was. It was. It was the only major scholarship that I got. I was talking with Southern Cal, and uh, but of course that was too far away. And uh, for me, it was at that time. I wasn't interested in going that far away. Uh, you know, they, they never got to the point where they actually made an offer. But uh, but I grew up, um, uh, of course, always uh, wanting to go to Alabama A and M. You know, John Starworth was playing up there, and and I was. Uh, my dad had played up there, and I was going to. Uh, uh, go to A and M, and then uh, my senior year, um, uh, Danny Ford had a lot to do with. The guy was Danny played at Alabama, was coaching up, um, uh, was coaching out there at Alabama, and uh, he, he he did his student teaching over at Tuscaloosa High. And I was in one of his classes, and he sort of took a liking to me. And I think uh, uh, believed that I could play at Alabama, and and he recommended that they sign me. So. Uh, when that offer came came along, uh, like I said, I wasn't interested in going too far away from home, so uh, uh, I, I, I took the opportunity, and, and it all it all worked out. Coach, when you look at playing days at the University of Alabama, if you're sitting around and someone says, "Share the great story of Coach Paul Bear Bryant," and and I know you had a chance to work out under him as assistant coach, but as a player, uh, what's that memory that maybe stands above the rest? Oh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to pick a single one, but for me, it was uh, my my personally. It, it was uh, there were just so many times. I, I, I guess the one that that really always stands out to me was my senior year. Uh, I was going into um, uh, uh, we were practicing. I think it was the last scrimmage before we got ready to, the, the, to play our opening game, and you know, I was a senior preseason All America. And, uh, you know, was feeling pretty good about myself, you know. So uh, we go out to, uh, to to have that scrimmage on Saturday, which was traditional about noontime on the Saturday. That last scrimmage was always a long, tough scrimmage. So, uh, you know, we go out and we think we're going to offensively and we're going to go down, we're going to drive down and score a couple of times and think everything's going to be finished and, you know, and that'd be it for us today. Where Coach took all the offensive linemen out and he took, you know, uh, he took Ozzie Newsom out, those guys out of there. And I was still in there at one point during the scrimmage. I'm the only starter still in the scrimmage. And so I finally figured out to myself, I said, okay, he's testing me today for some reason. So I, I just go ahead and just keep going. And I ended up, uh, I think I had about 80, 90 snaps. But at the end of, toward the end of the scrimmage, all those guys came back in the scrimmage. Coach looked at me and said, Hey, I forgot about you. <laughs> and I looked right back at him. I said, "Yeah, right, coach." And then he, he let me go out. He just started laughing. But it was one of those situations where I, I knew um, uh, at this point, after being there, I knew, okay, this is my day. I'm being tested. He's gonna see if my attitude is right, and if I respond right to this thing, everything's gonna be okay. If I don't, it's gonna be a long year. So uh, it all worked out, and uh, uh, I think that. The way I responded that day, I think it really cemented our relationship uh, uh, with Coach. And, 
as as the year went on, uh, he would often ask me what I, you know, when, when he wanted to get a pulse of the team, he would ask me. So we had we had a real good relationship after that. But the thing was, the coach was like, you could never rest and feel like you made it with him. He was always going to test. Coach, you spent a lot of time, obviously, in coaching that stretches from. Uh, your time as a GA here, your time as an inside linebacker coach under Coach Paul Bear Bryant and also Coach Perkins, you, you stretch to the NFL. I mean, you're, you're, how many years did you spend in coach? I guess I could really do the quickly math from 1976 and recently retired in 2016. Uh, but I'm curious how being around Coach Bryant prepared you to be a coach and your personality and the characteristics uh, that you uh, displayed on the coaching side of things. Well, the first thing is you you learn uh, uh, not to be uh, sensitive. You have to have a thick skin. Uh, you, you develop that over playing for him, and definitely over coaching for him. You develop a thick skin. You can you can deal with um, uh, adverse circumstances, and you learn to handle the adversity of it. And you have to have an intense work ethic. Uh, you know, even even since I've been out of it, and um, uh, uh, have so much free time now, and I, 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 it, it just really has, has dawned on me just how intense the work was uh, coaching, uh, coaching for Coach Brown and then coaching throughout the NFL. Uh, you know, just the, the intensity of the work, uh, you know, you know, going seven days a week, a lot of times, uh, six hours of sleep a night, that, that's a long night. And uh, uh, it's, uh, that's the first thing, the work ethic, uh, developing a thick skin uh, and the details of preparation. That's that's the other thing that I that I learned from him. You you have to prepare for it and, and anticipate every situation and uh, to succeed in anything, you got to be ahead of the curve because uh, when if you wait to the last minute, it's too late. Coach, when when you look back at Coach Paul Bear Bryant, as you're saying thick skin, that you've got to be thick skin to work around uh, Coach Bryant. We always heard the the rumor, and and I think Murray Legg is the one that told us this that you've almost never been an assistant coach until you get fired uh, from Coach Bryant. And and I, I, I'm curious, did you ever get fired from Coach Bryant? No, I I didn't I I, I didn't ever. I, I didn't ever get fired, but he 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 barked. He beat me a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, Murray's got a and great most story, of you, and, and most of and most of the times when. Uh, uh, when, when he gives you, the, you can't repeat them in publicly. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to hear these wonderful stories about the University of Alabama. Uh, I, I'm curious if you look back at, at your assistant coaching days, uh, we love to preserve legacies of players. We, we've, we've had Cornelius on a couple of uh, months ago, we had a visit with him. Uh, we also love to remember uh, Derek Thomas. Can you share a memory about those two outstanding linebackers? Oh yeah. Well, I tell you what. I, you know, first of all, I, w- I was shocked when when Coach Bryant uh, uh, hired me as the uh, outside linebacker coach because I'd never played outside linebacker. It <laughs> was and it was a month before we started practice in 1977. Um, I was a part time coach, and basically my job was just. Uh, Basically, wherever Dwight Stevenson went, that's where I went. But about a month before we started practice, Coach Donahue called me into his office and asked me that I have my my notebook ready. I said, "What notebook?" He said, uh, 
nobody told you you you're coaching the outside linebackers? I said, no, Coach Brown never said a word to me that I was coaching. You know, he, he told Coach Brown, I, I mean, Coach told Coach Donahue to tell me I was the outside linebacker coach. So Dude Hennessy gave me a uh, – I went down and got with Coach Hennessy, who was who had been the outside backer, backer coach, and uh, he gave me about a three-hour clinic, and it was the best coaching clinic I've ever been involved in in my whole career. And uh, um, uh, and I was very fortunate to get first to have some great players when I was coaching outside backer. They had EJ Jr. my first year, then Mike Pitts and Wayne Hamilton and, and Coyne Bennett and Derek Thomas. You know, I just had, had some great players, which – for a 22-year-old guy uh, uh, who never played the position, uh, I thank God I had those talented guys, and I just tried to get out of their way and, uh, and just let them play. But uh, you know, Cornelius was just had had he was a great competitor, and he made all the other players around him better. But his 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 vision was just absolutely incredible. I never forget we were playing Georgia one year, and. Uh, Cornelius was chasing a play from the backside, and I mean, he was running hard, boy, and, and he'd gotten all the way down behind the center. I mean, going full speed, chasing the play away, and they ran a reverse. And when the ball was pitched, I said, oh, it's going to be a touchdown. And this guy, Cornelius, turns and chases the guy and tackles him for a one-yard gain. And I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, a normal guy would never have even seen that ball pitched. And, uh, and that's just one of the plays, you know, it's just, just the way he could see things and reacted quick. And then Derek Thomas, the thing I always was impressed about Derek, the first time I saw him was he was, he had come up to visit us and he was over there working out with the, with the track team. And I saw this guy coming out of the, out of the block. And I said, who's that over there on the track team? And again, he said, well, that's, that's our new signee, Derek, Derek Thomas. He said, uh, I said, what position did he play? Because at the time, I didn't know anything about this guy. <laughs> sure. You know, uh, because he was recruited as a tight end. He was really coming to Alabama as a tight end. When I saw him come out of those blocks, uh, he was about a foot off the ground, and, and he was coming out of there faster than I was sprinting. I said, that guy ain't no tight end. I said, I'll get this guy to play outside linebacker some kind of way. <laughs> and uh, eventually, Coach Perkins uh, uh, decided to, to move him to outside backer, and and of course, you know, Derek became one of the greatest pass rushers in the history of the game. And I tell people all the time, I said, you know, I, I, one guy said, well, you know, when we taught Derek Thomas how to rush the pass, I said, no, no. I said, nobody taught Derek Thomas how to break, get, uh, rush the pass. God made Derek Thomas a pass rusher. He was, he was born to rush the passer. It's a lot of fun to be able to preserve that. I went out to Kansas City, uh, it's probably been a couple of years ago, and I met up with his son, and I felt like I was sitting there looking identical at Derek Thomas. Derek Thomas was my favorite player at the University of Alabama and uh, grew up in the great state. I was sitting across, and we're sitting there having dinner, uh, and, and it, I feel like I was having uh, dinner with Derek Thomas because he looks uh, identical uh, to his father, and it's just fun to be able to preserve uh, those legacies of the great players. Uh, Coach, when, when you look back at pass rushing now, uh, it seems that that's, that's a hard position because, you know, you're sitting there describing that story of tight ends. Now it's almost a reverse side of things, right? Don't, don't a lot of the guys that would be pass rushers go to that other position? Uh, now they play the tight end position because of the involvement of the offensive side of the football. Well, you know, a lot of those guys are playing there, but still the, uh, 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 you know, the pass rushers are still a premium, particularly in the NFL and, and even college football. Uh, if a guy can catch, of course, if he has great hands, yeah, you know, a lot of them like to play tight end. They like to get the ball. 
but the but the ones that like to to tackle people and 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 probably don't have great hands as receivers and uh, they still like to rush the pass in them because 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 that's. That's a premium in the NFL now. Hey, if I may, I'd like to move just to a final play, and then we'll circle back around and talk about you being inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. We're talking with Coach uh, Slack Kroom here at the uh, University of Alabama. Uh, Derek Henry, obviously a proud alumnus of the University of Alabama. What he did in 2015, 395 carries, Heisman Trophy. But we've also seen that next level at the NFL. What did you see him coaching him there at Tennessee uh, that maybe allowed him to be as successful as he's been in the National Football League? First of all, Derek is a physical phenomenon now. I, I have, you know, uh, seen some guys close. Uh, have, some guys have that size. Uh, but the combination of of size, speed, uh, toughness, uh, ability to catch, intelligence, uh, it's rare. I mean, the guy is 245 pounds and probably less than 5% body fat. I mean, it's amazing, and he gets stronger as the game goes on. Uh, I mean, he's a guy who legitimately can carry the ball in the NFL. Uh, I mean, a 30-carry game would be nothing for Derrick. In fact, when um, uh, this past season, when uh, Arthur Smith was a good friend of mine as the offensive coordinator there, when he got the job, I think the first day he got the job, I called him and I said, hey, I said, hey, Art, uh, 20 of those plays in the game plan on a minimum belong to Derek. I said, if you do that, you'll win games. <laughs> and uh, he agreed with me, and, uh, and that's, that's uh, he wisely gave Derek the ball a lot last year, and that's why he had such a great season, uh, because he needs touches, and the more touches he gets, the better he gets. Coach, from a coaching perspective in this current pandemic, uh, if you were trying to juggle all of this and you're trying to look at all this, how would you – and I know this is probably a two-hour conversation. I'm just going to try to ask you to maybe tell me what you – how would you approach this season when you're designing your offense, defense? I mean, would it change what you try to do, understanding that – you know, the night before, you may lose your starting quarterback. You may lose your starting running back. You may lose your backup guy. It, it, would it change the way that you coach in this current pandemic? Yeah. Uh, a lot of this is, <laughs> I'd say, it, it would be a two-hour discussion if sure. I had all the answers, which I don't. <laughs> okay. No. And, uh, I, and even though I'm not uh, coaching, I've, I've been thinking about it, trying to figure out how, how exactly I would approach it. I would definitely be very simple starting out because uh, you got to you got to have depth. Uh, I think this is going to be one of those t- uh, years where you know even if you know, let's say everything goes and, and when we get the season started, um, the teams that's got experienced quarterbacks are going to have an advantage. There's no question about that. I don't think. I think they definitely got an advantage. Um, and the next thing you know, you've got to be fundamentally sound. Uh, the, the teams that, again, that's, which is usually the case, but I think especially so now, uh, is the teams that don't beat themselves with penalties, turnovers, and, and, and missed assignments and uh, play very good in the kicking game, those are the teams that don't get started out early and I, I think will have the most success. Um, uh, as, as I think the offense is going to have to be very simple and uh, starting out and uh, they're going to have to play excellent defense. So uh, 
if you can keep guys off the board and, 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 and don't beat yourself early offensively, then, then you've got a better chance to win. Coach, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be able to visit with you and, and talk about your, your history here in Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa High School, uh, as a linebacker and a tight end, ended up at the University of Alabama, uh, the All-American that you were able to turn in and to be inducted in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame virtually uh, there. It's going to be able to watch that at ashof.org uh, and uh, to be able to go in with Woody McCorvey, uh, you know, you were talking about EJ Jr. I'm so happy EJ Jr. got that call into the College Football Hall of Fame. So uh, the 2020 year is going to be good for a lot of us in Tuscaloosa, and it's uh, it's good to be uh, sharing some memories about your playing days, your coaching days, uh, and certainly proud of what you've been able to accomplish. It's a it's a great historical career. Well, thank you very much, and, uh, and a lot of people. Uh... Uh, in Tuscaloosa, I've had a lot to uh, contribute a lot in, 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 in making my career and my life a success. My high school teammates and, uh, uh, and and a lot of family and friends around Tuscaloosa. Coach, thank you for your time. I hope you have an awesome afternoon and congratulations once again from all of us here in T-Town. Well, thank you for having me. Alabama Crimson Tide football on Alabama tradition with Martin Houston and Ryan Fowler in Tuscaloosa on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Welcome back to T-Town. I hope you're having an awesome day. Hey, man. How are you, bud? I'm Very well. good. Under under 40 days, or at least we hope, <laughs> right? Under 40. Uh, it's been a long off-season here in T-Town, as you can imagine. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's been a long off-season for all of humanity. Um, there's no question about that. Uh, no, it's just, listen, I, I am... Like everything, I am um, optimistic and hopeful and, and am rooting for all of these things that need to fall into place to fall into place so we can get some football. But um, you got to also kind of prepare for the other side of that equation as well. And that's just, uh, that's just my personal advice. Like, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, I think is generally a good, a good life strategy. Brayden, when you look at the NFL players opting out of the upcoming season, do you think we'll see that on the college game at this rate uh, that we're seeing now on the NFL you know, day that they report? That, that's a great question. And, you know, you're talking about, I guess, Dante Hightower, one of the biggest names, right, to, sure. to, to step out. I haven't seen um, – I haven't checked I haven't checked the news in the last couple of hours, but that I saw that this morning. And that, you know, it, it, it's certainly interesting. I know he's got a, a new child, right, that was born just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, that, listen, this, this is a great example of why in this really delicate time, that we just need to be more sort of aware of each other. And everybody has different levels of risk that they're comfortable with, right? Like I've got buddies who, you know, are taking the whole thing seriously, but just are very social. And the couples that want to, like, we've got, a, a, you know, friends that want to go out to dinner and they're going to do it because they, 
I've got, you know, other friends who never leave their house anyway and have no desire to leave their house. So sure. you just, you have to let people deal with their own risk and their own levels of concern in their own way. And, and I just think that's lost right now. If you, you know, if you jump on Twitter with a take or if you're, you know, I, I just think you, what's lost is that it's okay that people feel differently about how much risk they do or don't want to have in their life. And, um, there are certain things that we all need to do to try to help everybody be healthy, but, um, you know, like it, it, I, I don't, I, I don't think college football players are going to opt out as much as the NFL players will. Like there, there, there's, you know, when you've got a whole lot of money in the bank already, it's easy to say, no, I'm going to sit this one out, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm worried about my wife or my mother-in-law or my, my, my son or daughter or whatever. Um, so I don't think the college kids have as much, as much leeway, unless you're maybe, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, if you're like, let's take it to, to Alabama, if you're Najee Harris and, and, and you think you're going to be uh, a big time prospect and a high draft pick or whatever, like, you know, could you sit out, especially at a running back position where you save some of the tread on the tires anyway? Like I, I, I could see it being a bowl game like situation, but again, just like with the bowl games, I know it's not necessarily popular, but I don't really care. You, you don't get to tell other people what they with how they value and prioritize things in their lives. And if Christian McCaffrey wants to sit out of a bowl game because he thinks it's what's best for his family financially, I'm sorry, you don't really get to tell him what to do. He gets to make that decision. And that's the same thing for, for Dante Hightower and every other player in college or pro football. I don't think it will happen nearly as much in the college game unless we see some really horrendous sort of quote-unquote working conditions, right? Like if there's a coach who clearly doesn't care about you know, t- the, the safety of his kids. I could see, you know, large numbers of people sort of quote unquote protesting that and stepping away, but that, that would be a, a really rare and probably, you know, se- severe extreme to, to think through. Brayden, when you look at Bob Bowlesby and we're talking Athlon college football analyst, Athlon sports that you can find on your favorite supermarket newsstand, books, a million Barnes and Noble. Uh, you, you can find it online at athlonsports.com. You can order the copy and we're going to get into that coming up in a couple of seconds, but Bob Bowlesby, uh, it, it's, it seems like that they've added some games. Iowa State scheduling Ball State going non-conference. That kind of gives us a little bit of clue, but I think there might even be a deeper clue. The Big Ten kind of went rogue, right? Pac-12 followed those guys. It seems like this bond that's been created between the Big 12 and the ACC and the SEC, with Bob Bowlesby talking about the 12-game schedule, does that give us any clues of what the SEC will vote on Thursday to do 12 games, or maybe it's reduced? Does it give us any clues there, anything? I I, I don't think so. Okay. Um, but I think, like you said, we, we're going to know by the end of the week because they have to start making announcements, and that's when they promised that they would make announcements, both the ACC and the SEC. I think the Big 12 is just in, in sit, wait, and watch mode. They're going to do whatever the SEC and the ACC decide to do, in my opinion. Okay. I, I still think that it's almost everybody's going to have to come down to um, doing what the Big Ten did. I, I don't see how you can function otherwise because, I mean, again, cases are spiking everywhere. We, a thousand people are dying a day. It's, we're in the worst of the pandemic basically right now, especially in in, in, in states down in our area of the country, and, and I, I'm in Tennessee. And so it, it's – what, what has to happen is you have to limit risk and, and create control, right? Like try to make your own bubble and – the, what the Big Ten did is it, it limited its bubble to 14 teams. In the SEC, if it decides to go just conference only and maybe they have the one games with the ACC or whatever, let's say, 
Um, you know, what you do is you, you, you limit risk by controlling scheduling, controlling travel, controlling testing and tracing and protocols. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to match up the Mac. Like when you, when you, you talk about Iowa state with ball state, like what has to happen then is ball state has to then follow the exact same protocols as Iowa state. And there's no way to know, like, like how does everybody follow all the same rules? You're just trying to herd cats at that point. So that's why the big 10 is trying this is to give it their best chance. And I, I fully expect, look, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I fully expect every league to be down. I think all 10 leagues will be down to conference only schedules at some point. Uh, I just think it, it, it gives you the best chance to succeed. And that, that gives you control over all of those other, all those variables that right now we just don't have a lot. Like, you know, if you're traveling across the country to play a team in a different league that, that may have totally different protocols that you're, you're opening yourself up with more risk. And uh, again, I think the last line of defense in all of this is going to be parents. Parents have not been vocal about this yet. When they start to, if they start to see their kids being mishandled or mistreated or testing positive or not caring or whatever, I don't expect parents to stay quiet on this for very long. And, and hopefully that doesn't happen, but uh, it's very possible. You trust these athletic departments because there is oh, an of course not. <laughs> well, but I mean, there's an incentive for them not to test, right? I mean, oh. well, I mean, not test correctly. I guess would be the way to say. Well, it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that part. I, I think that they behind closed doors. I think that they want all the information that they can gather, and they want to again because of liability, li- literally lawsuits about children's health. That's what we're talking about here, right? Like, if, sure. If you're a, if you're a parent and you're sending your kid to go play football at Georgia or Tennessee or Alabama, you're talking about the university is opening themselves up to, to legal liability here if you don't handle it correctly. So I think behind closed doors you're handling it correctly. I think the flow of information is an all-out war right now. <laughs> I think that is that's that's where the, the the front lines of this battle are being fought. Unfortunately, which shouldn't be the case. I, you know that's the that's sort of the, the the eco chamber that we've been been given by our government. But I think. Greg Sankey refused to answer a very simple question, and he's really, really good. Like he's generally very hard to pin down on anything. Very smart, very calculating, and has been leading the way on on being careful with this. And they, you know, HBO's like, "Hey, how many schools have tested positive?" And he wouldn't even answer. There's a reason that Tennessee, when they did their first round of tests, and every school came, every kid came back to campus, that they announced as loudly and as proudly as possible that nobody tested positive. Well, guess what happened when they had their next round of testing after the Fourth of July? They didn't announce anything. They won't tell anybody. Brayden, they won't tell anybody anything. Brayden, we we don't even have a positive test confirmed in Tuscaloosa. Like like our communication staff, we haven't got one email. Right. None. Right. None. And, Zero. And again, so now and now again, is, is anyone shocked by that? I mean, that's no. the way no. college football coaches handle everything. Sure. So that's not really a surprise. But again, let's think about this through a PR lens and go. All right, if I was in charge of the SEC. And I had a bunch of really good information to tell people. You think I'd be hiding that and holding it back? No, I'd be screaming from the mountaintops that we are safe, we've got protocols in place, and that there are a bunch of negative tests. The only reason you wouldn't give that information out is that it's not good. <laughs> like, there's no other reason to, to hold that information back. Brayden, we look at Alabama's roster and kind of going back here in Tuscaloosa because talent's going to take over this season. I think that's that's how it's going to determine you know who's going to be the best team in college football. Let, let's go to Alabama. Who's the best player on Alabama's roster going into this year uh, as we look at this team? Oh, 
Is that, it Najee like, Harris? Like an, I mean, I mean, that's not, an unfair. That's like an unfair question for like every other team in America to have to listen to the answer, right? Like, I, I could rattle off fifteen players before I'd get to somebody that like most other teams would be like, "Yep, that's our best player." So it's just sort of an unfair embarrassment of riches, with the exception of maybe Clemson and Ohio State, maybe LSU. There's a few teams that can can Georgia's starting to recruit basically at the same level as Alabama. So it's 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 almost unfair. Look, I I have personal rooting interest involved in in watching a particular player because of pure inter- entertainment value. I don't necessarily think he's the best player on the team. I don't think he is. You know, if I had to draft players, I might take a left tackle, let's say hypothetically, or a quarterback before I take this particular player uh, because of value of position. But if you throw all of that out and just say who's the guy. You, you tune in to watch because you think he does what he does better than anyone else, maybe in America, and that is Jalen Waddle. You, you let me watch him with the ball in his hands on any given play in any stadium on, in front of zero fans, and I am hook, line, and sinker watching, you know, must-see television. Like, it, it's just, I think what he does, it, he does it better than anybody else maybe in America, and there's some really, really good players that do what he does. I just think he's better than everybody else at his position in the country. So, um, I, I, you know, it, there's a lot of great answers to that question. Um, there's a lot of names that even we don't, you know, the regular media, the regular fan in college football doesn't know enough about yet that will blossom into superstardom should we have a season. Uh, but if you ask me right now, who do I think, you know, better than everybody else in America at what they do, it, it's, it's Jalen Waddle. That's the guy I'm tuning in to watch with the football in his hands every single Saturday. And, and let me parlay that into this sports science facility. Dr. Ray is probably one of the best speed uh, analysts in the entire world. I mean, and that's what he focuses on. Uh, that is his PhD. That that's what he you know designed to do. So there's a chance that Jalen Waddle may be even faster because that seems to be the buzz coming out of the building that everybody is shocked. <laughs> the way that Dr. Ray is taking the approach of getting, you know, two tenths of a, a 40 yard dash time or right, improving right. that. So, so that may be a scary combination for the rest of college football. Yeah. It's not, it's not even fair. Like, if he's faster than he was last year, it's not even fair. Like it's just, it's just not imagine him touching the ball 110 times this year. Like, like look at what Rondell Moore did for Purdue as a freshman. And you look at these guys, the Wendell Robinsons of the world at, at Nebraska, these, these guys that are just do everything, you know, Swiss Army knives that you just can't, you just can't touch in the open field. And uh, imagine what he could do with like a hundred and like, let's say 30, 35, 40 rushing attempts, you know, a dozen, two dozen kick return, punt returns and 80, you know, 70, 80 receptions. Think what he could do with 140 touches. It, it would be insanity. It would be. It'd be a lot of fun. I mean, is there a chance that he could be a part of the Heisman conversation with enough touches? No, for sure. For sure. I got, and again, I think we live in a world where, um, you know, that position is, is so critical with, with big play offenses and spreading the field and forcing defenses to change. Now, I think, I'll, like, do I think Alabama's going to, you know, is Najee Harris going to have fewer touches than Jalen? Well, of course not. Like, I think you run the football and you, and you dominate and you, you crush people's souls the way I think Alabama is going to do this year. Um, you know that's that's the focal point of your offense because that's how you're going to attack a an elite level defensive line in a playoff game. But if you can get six to eight touches a game to a guy that can completely flip a game on its head in a matter of seconds, you know that's the guy to do it. And there, there's plenty of them in America. I just think he's the best one. I love the anonymous uh, scouting reports. I use them quite often because I think it really gives us, you know. 
it removes the coach talk. You know, Nick Saban will stand up there on a Monday before Georgia State, and he'll say they got tremendous players, they got tremendous coaches, we have tremendous respect. I mean, I, <laughs> I can substitute the team, and it's the same Monday yeah, press yeah. conference. And to me, the scouting, the anonymous reporting, kind of gives you a chance for coaches to talk openly about what they really think about the team. As you look at Alabama, uh, they're not buying into this decline uh, that Alabama kind of – now, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama fans would buy 11-2 and as a down year, but these coaches are not buying uh, that Alabama was a down, down, uh, sliding decline for this football team. No, and, and I, you know, I, I can remember going to media days now for, I don't know, almost two decades, that like every fourth year or something when, when Bama doesn't actually win a national championship, there's like the – you can just bank on the summer of, of dead dynasty talk, right? Sure, like it's just sure. going to be the summer of this is the end of the dynasty. And every time I just shake my head and I'm like, is Nick Saban still in charge? Do they still have better players than 99.9% of the rest of the country? If the answer to those two questions is yes, then the dynasty isn't going anywhere. So I, I, I yeah, I mean like a, a down year is losing one of the, the most transcendent players in school history and, and still almost making the playoff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sure. that's, that's a down year for the program. So, no, I, I think, listen, we, we, picked, we picked him to play in the national championship game. We have him playing Clemson for the whole thing. I, I would stick by that today through pandemic or otherwise. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I obviously completely disagree with the idea that there's some downturn coming. If anything, we know Nick Saban's teams generally get better with, with off-year motivation after not accomplishing their goals the year before, and in particular this year because the coaching staff is almost exclusively intact. And so – uh, that's the first time in a while we're not going to have major upheaval on the coaching staff. So not only, um, I mean, yes, there's a quarterback change. I get it, but I'm still, you know, if you give me Bryce Young and Mac Jones, uh, there's not too many quarterback rooms in America. I would trade for that. And and so I think, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just, it's just absurd. It's just ridiculous to read the, is the dynasty. It's just a dumb question. Like, is the Alabama dynasty over? I'll ask that question when Nick Saban is no longer the head coach at Alabama. You guys have got a lot of uh, great featured stories, whether you're talking about the national edition or the SEC regional uh, copy where you really go into the SEC preview. It says largest and most accurate SEC preview. Let me spend a couple seconds here with Tennessee. Are you buying this hype that's coming out of Knoxville? Because that's a, like an off-season tradition for the last 25 years, right? Uh, Tennessee. Well, they've, they've only been picked to win the East like once in 10 years. So I will push back on the narrative that there's, there's hype. I think Tennessee fans – um, have been begging and pleading for something relevant for for you know basically since '07 I guess and so I think there's a there's a there's a hungry thirsty fan base and then there's like actual reality like nobody's picking Tennessee to win the East nobody's picking nobody has picked Tennessee to win the East outside of one time with Butch Jones in, in the last like eight years even at SEC Media Day so there's really not like this every year Tennessee gets overhyped thing I, I think that's actually kind of a misnomer. Um, but there is a lot of excitement about the team because fans think that there was so much growth coming out of the end of the season last year that, it, it, you know, their offensive line has gone from one of the worst in, in, the, in the conference to probably one of the best in the conference. You've got a quarterback room that's got some established veteran talent and, and some young, explosive, interesting talent. You've got all the young players that Jeremy Pruitt's recruited have apparently been hit on the recruiting trail with the Eric Gray's and Henry Toto's and Wanya Morris's of the world and, um, so if he can continue to do that, then then I think there's reason for, for optimism. Um, I still think they're going to be a heavy underdog in four games, let's say, if they play every game, and, and will be favored to win the other eight. So I think eight and four is where we've got them. I think that's fair. I think that's a season of growth and a step in the right direction. And 
you know, they're riding the second longest winning streak in college football. I get that. They've beaten one team in two years under Jeremy Pruitt in the SEC that had a winning SEC record. And that was Kentucky two years ago, the, the, the Kentucky team that won 10 games and almost went to Atlanta. They have not beaten another team in the SEC that finished with a winning record. So they, they still have to prove a lot before people start talking about them going to Atlanta. Cloudy, a few passing showers and thunderstorms are likely this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 88. The low tonight, 73. Tomorrow and Thursday, mostly cloudy. A good chance of showers and thunderstorms both days. Highs between 86 and 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9.